Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, and U.S. National Team gear. All the latest collection, including all the Women's World Cup gear, tees, scarves, and more. Everything you need to represent the U.S. Women's National Team in the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. If you shop Soccer9.com, use code ThirdDegree at checkout and you'll receive 20% off your order. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode numbered in the sequential order of 221, episode 221 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter, alongside the typical crew. First off, the man with the amazing beard, Luton Town's very own Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm wonderful, sir. Are you in a faraway land? Uh, yes, Richardson. Ah, very good. That would explain why you sound far away. And of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of Third Degree, the podcast, and currently residing somewhere in a compound in a very off-grid location in the northern part of the United States, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from my in-laws' basement in Spokane, Washington. Oh, so you've crossed the border over to where the liberals yeah. <laughs> reside. Well, what, where they have the internet. I mean, I, Spokane ain't exactly a liberal area, but it's still part of the state. Oh, it's, 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 way, more, it's way more commie than uh, Idaho, sir. Yeah. As a collective state, Washington certainly is. Spokane <laughs> is very... And we're 30 minutes from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, so you can imagine the kind of uh, environment it is. But none of that matters. What matters is I drove into town to get some internet tomorrow, or later when I'm done editing this podcast, I'll go back to where there is no internet and enjoy the lake. Okay, well. But there are potatoes. Yeah. So uh, you're gone for another couple of weeks? Yeah, I'll be back about around the 11th or 12th of August. All right. Plenty of time for uh, the hunts to buy and purchase somebody while you're out of town, because that's how this thing works. Yeah. yeah. And they might. We'll see. Might being the operative word. Yeah, might. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. I, I saw the tweet from uh, 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 Tom Bogert earlier. Yeah, I guess it was yesterday with a whole list of his updates of everything he knows about pending purchases from all these, this following list of MLS clubs. And it looked like Pretty much every club in the league, with the exception of Dallas, it was the one that wasn't in the list, and yeah. that made me that made me chuckle. Well, since we last talked, uh, the league has stopped down from league play and obviously started to participate in this newfangled bright and shiny leagues cup. Dallas has played two games. First off, uh, the frustrating draw against Charlotte, and then the somewhat weirdly interesting win over Nacoxa and there's uh I'm sure there's a lot to take from both of these games buzz yeah there's a lot of stuff that's very similar that I think we should talk about it's worth talking about in the big context of the season but the, the main difference between these two games is the uh the word of the year that coach has been talking about at the very beginning and that's mentality and against against Charlotte uh, from the very beginning of the game, Dallas was in a sort of passive mindset as, as Oscar Pereira used to say you want to be the protagonist not the antagonist and and um they just didn't have that aggressiveness and charlotte did and charlotte was uh you know getting stuck in as you like to say they were picking up recoveries they were being aggressive about getting to lose balls they were they were trying to be uh get at dallas over and over and, and we talk a lot about i talk a lot about even when dallas is in a defensive framework like they are they often don't want the ball you still have to be positive and proactive you still have to move and you still have to get at the ball you still have to go get it in recovery and and when you're not doing those things, it lets Charlotte stay in the game and lets them come back. And to be honest, in that Charlotte game, Dallas had probably four or five chances of goal. And Jesus in particular had two late that he failed to put away. Kamungo had one also. And they ended up letting Charlotte get back in the game. Well, you compare that to the Nakasa game. And yes, you're up a man. But right from the get-go, they had a much more positive mentality, much more protagonist mentality. And, and in particular, Jesus late put the game away. He closed the door, slammed the door. He, recovered, he made that goal when he needed to. And that's the difference between the two games. When those moments come, you have to take them. You know, Dallas is a low shot volume team. We've talked about that all year. They're they're pretty clinical about their options in terms of shots on goal to just shots in general. Um, but if you don't get those goals, if you don't score those goals when those moments arise, when you're a, when you're a low volume shooting team, you're not going to win games. And, and you do, and you do win. 
And that's the main difference from those two games. God, there were so many goals they left on the table too. You think about Bernie going around the keeper and giving the defender enough time to recover. That last 30 seconds where uh, Jesus and Anza run up the field. Uh, Siki ends up with an easy pass to Anza or open on the back post and instead he just blasts the ball over. They take it up the other end, win the free kick and score. I mean, it was... Um, Nico mentioned mentality in the press conference. He said, you know, they took that mentality into the shootout. That was that was the big issue. Um, but yeah, absolutely. They just they they weren't playing to win. Almost it was just to kind of survive. And you know, whether you're treating it as a couple of mid-season friendlies or as the most important tournament on earth, if you know. If you're on the field playing, you you play. Um, I know Nico copped a bit of uh, flack from fans for not risking Paxton and and Paul Ariola and Emma Tuomasi, but um, you know, it, ultimately they they weren't going to make the difference between FC Dallas having enough chances to really have probably five goals in the game and you know just kind of leave them begging. So, Buzz, I mean, I guess my big takeaway from this is is Dallas has put themselves in a position of not a position. They've now they're going to advance out of this group into the next stage. But my my feeling is Charlotte's a not a very good MLS team, and I and Nakaxa played the majority of that game down a man, and prior to them losing, prior to the red card, Nakaxa was really pushing Dallas pretty hard. I guess my, my general question is, you know, do you have, do we, should we come away from these games feeling like Dallas is starting to find its form and get people healthy and get back into the right, get back on track? Or do we put a lot of thought into thinking, overthinking these games and like, and, and uh, applying those uh, asterisks to them for lack of a better way of saying, you know what I'm saying? I don't even know if I'm asking yeah. the question very well. Yeah, perhaps it's a bit of an overthink. Um, it's probably important to acknowledge that uh, based on the conversations that I had to have with Coach Nico, I was expecting way more rotation than we saw. You know, I was expecting to be not like an open cup level rotation, but multiple guys getting rests, and that really did not happen. <laughs> the coach is playing just just about the best lineup he has is available, other than with Paz going home to his funeral, and then in the second game we saw Tafari get a rest. You know, there's a tiny bit of management there, but there was not nearly the level of management that perhaps I misread in what he was telling me, or perhaps English is a second language kind of problem. It could totally be my misunderstanding, but uh, he's rolling out a much better lineup and trying to win this thing than I anticipated. But part of that, I think, is the fact that things have been so bad, and his team has been, you know, what was it, one win in seven, seven or eight? eight? Yeah. Is that, yeah, something like that coming in. Uh, so... You know, when you remember, everything was always about context. So when you were playing as bad as you were, okay, maybe use these games to get going. I'm okay with that. Yes, Charlotte, not a great MLS team. Nakax is not early season form. They're not a great MX team. I don't think they have a win. They have like one goal on the year or something. But you have to, in the microcosm of what Dallas has been doing with all these injuries and all the poor performances, you, you can see some things that are happening in a positive direction. You can see some developments that think that make you think, certainly not like, oh my gosh, this team's going to do some things in the playoffs. I don't mean that. I'm just talking about getting back to the level they were to start the first third of the season. And there are some steps in that general correct direction. There are some performances that I think you can look at and take forward as not only this season, but even next season go forward that you get excited about. So um, context, again, not, not great. Not like we should all start booking tickets in the last cup, but... Uh, you got to be relatively happy with those individual games in terms of how the team looked. Minor things that have plugged them all along, like closing out games or having a passive mentality from time to time. But then again, step forwards in those ways, you know, and, and step forwards with a few young players. So uh, relatively positive experiences, in, in my opinion, from these games when maybe they don't mean all that much to some people, but... Um, you know, they still look like pretty legit games and, and some teams are playing pretty well. I mean, Charlotte definitely came to play in their game. Yeah. 
Uh, and the Cox, it didn't look like they were taking that game off by any means. Maybe they didn't start their 100% A team also, but there were some guys flying around and hitting pretty hard in that game. They weren't taking that easy either. So, um, you know, anytime you go out there and battle, you can learn stuff, and I think we can learn stuff from this All right, teams. so uh, instead of trying to, like, drill down into the games individually and getting bogged down into those details, I mean, there obviously are differences in the fact that Dallas frustratingly kind of threw the game away against Charlotte. And, uh, you know, I guess you can uh, – they they got the job done against a uh, Nacoxa side with a man down – but I guess we can talk. I guess we could go back and forth about how well they played overall. the The big takeaway for me in all of this is that there is some consistency in some headline things, which is the uh, resurgence, the thankful, grateful. I'm so grateful to see this that Sebastian Legette looks like he's kind of got his head screwed right back uh, in the right direction to start with. Yeah, my in my three things I referred to it is it looks like he woke up. You know, and uh, it started about maybe three or four games ago. I can't remember exactly where it was. I think it was maybe three games ago, right before the the league's cup started, where um, I talked about in my breakdown that he had um, like four moments in the game that were really key and really impactful. And then against Charlotte, he took a step forward and had an assist. And then in Nakaxa, he looked really, really good and like front to back, top to bottom, like complete game, box to box performance. And there's something very specific that he's that he is bringing, and Alan Velasco is bringing out. We'll talk about Alan in a minute, and we'll and we'll talk about that concept in a minute. Um, that's so important for that eight position, but just to see legit, because like, look, you could say about legit, maybe it was some things off field that were causing these doldrums, that this poor performances. Maybe it's the fact that he's almost thirty, you know. Maybe it's the fact that he had got injured twice in preseason. Whatever it is. If it's the fact he's 30, you worry about it being a long-term problem. If it's some of the other two things, when you see a player begin to wake up like this and you hear the comments on the broadcasters about coaches saying, we've seen a totally different player in practice the last couple of weeks, man, that gets you excited because this is a player who at times has been a really, really good player in this league. And even last season was a really important player for Dallas. And if they're going to be as good as they were last year, He's got to get back to that form, and, and it, that Nacosta game sure looked like he was damn close if he wasn't already. Well, it also is important considering how much money he makes and, and the percentage he yeah. chews up of the salary cap. Yeah, this is a cap league, and if you've got a million dollars in a player, uh, that player's got to be on or it's going to really impact your season. Uh, yeah, sure. so the next thing is the curious case of Alan Velasco, who appears to have been given a position change. Yeah, well, there's two straight games now we've seen uh, him in there. And my suspicion is that, A, you have Ansa coming in, who's providing some things over there. You have Areola coming back. You have uh, Bernard Camugo, who we'll talk about, who's doing some great things. So maybe all of a sudden you have a lot more wings. You still have this eight problem. Well, they put uh, Alan Belasco into the eight position, and, it, and he did a really nice job of playing a complete box-to-box game. He's really worked on his defensive game since he first came here last year. Uh, and it does a really nice job of that. He's still, again, he's not a defender, but he does the, t- the work, tracks back, covers guys, chases a guy down. But on top of that, in these two games, when they put him in this position, his 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 passing isn't 100% dialed in, but it's way more impactful than it was on the wing. Perhaps even you, the numbers might look the same if you looked at like passes into the final third or like key passes. They might look the same, but impactfully, they're not because what he's doing out of midfield is line breaking and he's and he's hitting guys into open spaces. and He's creating these opportunities that are resulting in guys getting in on goal and getting chances on goal. It, out, the way Allen passes out of that position lends itself to doubt what does Dallas's best ability, which is this quick transition where they get at guys. And when you have wingers who are a little more vertical and can do that, O'Brien by nature, Kamingo probably by nature, Ansa looks like he's also a guy like that, all taking advantage of Jesus, who's also a great movement striker. You know, these passes from Velasco out of that position and the way Legette has been crashing the box and had him in assists, that's the thing that's been missing, right? We've been talking all season about the eights were not doing enough in terms of getting into the box, passing into the box, getting assists, getting goals. These last two games, those guys are both doing that. And that's a remarkable uh, change. And it really has been a huge missing problem. 
Um, and it may be that they're both in there together. Maybe there's a threat in there together. Having the ability to have two guys that are eights and not have a double six look in there when you had Edwin and Facundo together, like we saw so much when they were all they were so banged up, it really has freed up a lot of the midfield uh, and made a massive difference in this team. So I guess the long-term impact of that is if 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 in fact he's helping in this position. Now you've got a, a weird problem between Cerillo, Facundo, and assuming he ever comes back to play soccer ever again, Paxton Pomacall, on at least uh, as, in terms of being a full-time starter, because now you're essentially playing with with a, a an individual holding uh, a, a holding mid. Yeah, th- this will be the trick. Um, you know, it puts it goes back to a single pivot, uh, although. You can let Allen play a, a touch higher and have Leggett play deeper, or if Paxton's in there, play a little bit deeper and keep a little bit of more of a double look. You know, Allen's not necessarily a guy that's going to be really deep. Um, you know, part of that is just the personnel you've had available. This this double eight is what the coach has wanted all along. Um, you know, this is the idea that he's wanted. He's kind of penetrating eights. You know, the, it's it's the way this formation works. It. If you have guys that can create such danger from that spot, then it puts a lot less pressure on the six to be progressive. And he can be a more stay-at-home kind of six like Facundo. You know, it does mean you have to have a guy who can get silent on the sideline, which is the antithesis of that, of Facundo, which Cerillo does. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they continue with, as Paxson gets back into the game, this is the thing that's been missing from Paxson is this box the passes into the box, the assists, the numbers. You know, people joke about how other guys that have played for like a season and a half have more numbers than Paxson. You know, it, it'll, it, it would be, I know Dan talked to Leggett into about this combination because we may see a lot more of this combination going ahead. Yeah. Um, just ask him kind of about settling in as an eight alongside Velasco. You know, he's obviously had a few different, partners in the midfield, but certainly in terms of profile, nothing quite like Allen. And, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. He just said, you know, it's kind of more of a 10 or internal winger. And I started thinking about it. It's like, he's really just being, I mean, he's, he's definitely getting back more, but he's being deployed almost like just a very deep-lying inside wing and, and still allowing for four-wing play on the outside. Yeah, this is the prototypical free eight that Allen's playing. You know, it, it only works because he hustles back and does cover, and the other guys have an awareness of the way he plays. You know, it, it'll be it'll be really key to see how it works against teams that have a really dominant midfield because it might break down. <laughs> if you run up against a team that's got three phenomenal midfielders in there, it, it'll get really tough. Um, I'm interested to see how that, that plays out with different combinations of wingers as well because I think a big – thing the last two games is you know Velasco rotates out to the left you've got the whoever's playing on the left rotates into midfield Bernie and uh, Leggett can have a little switch around Jesus can drop into any of those roles uh, you, you know you've you've got a lot of rotation in that front five that we don't often see um, you know even as as fluid as tactics are quite often the roles in FC Dallas of of who's where when seems to be pretty rigid. Hmm. Well, it it does uh, beg a lot of questions moving forward in terms of where how all the pieces fall together because I'm still curious to know that if Velasco ends up being somewhat of the uh, key to solving some of the attacking problems, what does that mean in terms of Paxton's place on this team or Facundo or Cerrillo's? Because I know and a lot of people live in a world where they think Paxton should be a six. I still... Still don't think he is, um, but assuming he gets back to health and 100%, it does. It, it will be interesting to see how Nico decides to utilize all these players, assuming he gets them all back healthy at some point. Yeah, you know, in a team where a coach is always going to want to be a single pivot if he can help it, you know, you're really going to have one six in there. It, you know, when he wants to, from time to time, do a double, it's going to be hopefully an eight dropping in there, a Paxton or a Legette. The, the thing for Paxson is th- he's had this issue, this one problem, and that's what's been the problem this year. We just talked about it a whole bunch. If Leggett and Alan Blasco are doing this component, this this driving into this box, the passing into the box, the creating assists, 
the creating goal scoring chances, and Paxton is not, then short term it's real simple. Paxton ain't gonna be playing. He's gonna be on the bench. Yeah. You know, long term he's got to solve this problem. Uh, Dan, I know you know this. He's got to fix this problem. And if he doesn't, long term he's gonna have a lot of problems as this league continues to be better. If he finds this component. Within a season or so, Legette's going to be moving into his or low 30s, and it'll be time for him to retire at some point soon. And maybe Paxton is again that guy because if he doesn't find that ability, uh, it's never going to it's not going to go really well for him at that at the eight. Well, I know he he played the last 13 minutes of the game against Nacoxa. Have we had any update on his health status? Uh, I, I'm no buzz. You've been out of town, Dan. Has he has that been reported at all? Um, I mean, he's, he's back now. Uh, yeah, now they're kind of focused on the last, I think it's four that are, uh, still a bit walking wounded. Uh, so I think as, as far as everyone's concerned, Paxton Pomaco is back to 100%. Hmm. Okay. So next on the list of things that have been uh, fun to watch is obviously, um, well, I, what order should we do this in? Should we talk about uh, Bernie first or Ansa, the new guy first? Sure. I, whichever, it doesn't matter. It's your show, Buzz. You pick. <laughs> Let's go with Bernie. It's on the list. All right. Well, the, the, the fun thing about Bernie is that um, watching his ascendance, I definitely did not have... Uh, Bernie breakout on the, my bingo card for this season. I, I I have a lot of confidence that he was going to do it eventually, but I thought it would be at least next year, mainly because there weren't going to be a lot of minutes available. Um, and then all these injuries happened, and he almost got forced into being playing. And then he does what Bernie does, which is he has these moments um, where he does great things, and, and he's taken mostly taken advantage of them. Uh, the, the times he didn't, his led to Dallas not getting results, and the times he did, it led them to getting results. And that's always been his nature. Um, the difference has been that in the past, or his performances this season or earlier this year or, or when he was with North Texas, he wasn't always uh, dialed in completely with the tactics or the team shape or where to be or how to play defense or how to press or when to press. And those things are making him big strides, and that's really impressive to see. The more minutes he gets, the more comfortable he is, the more he fits in the fit shape. You can actually contrast that with Obreon, who – had that run where he was engaged and dialed in and play with everybody else and looked great. We jokingly called him MVP Obreon. And then that went away again after he had his little suspension problem. The more those two guys play together, the more Camungo is clearly dialed in and clearly helping the team. And the more Obreon is not. Uh, and I'm to the point where as these guys like Areola start to come back, um, I'm thinking Camungo is going to stay on the field and Obreon is not. Hmm. Then uh, how are we feeling about the debut of the new guy? I, I like him. Uh, you know, he, he shows a lot of the same sort of abilities. Um, he's, he, he reads the game really well. He's, he's a much smarter soccer player than I had uh, reasonably hoped that he would be coming from somewhere like the Israeli league. Um, he has a, a little bit of verticality, which is nice. Um, I can't help but look at him and think he's a better version of Obreon in a lot of ways, which is pretty telling since Obreon's deal is kind of running out here. <laughs> um, so it'll be... Again, interesting question. You, you start to see some wings being effective, and you wonder, again, where's the playing time going to go to all these guys based on their salaries? You kind of think it needs to go a certain way, but based on performance, uh, it might be a little different. Um, uh, Dan, where are you at on, on say? Have you seen enough of him to like him? Um, I mean, little bits, obviously. Um, I liked him getting involved straight away in the first game with the breakaway. Uh, damn it, Seeky just passed him and gave him his first goal. Um, I thought defensively, um, he looked completely sound better than Giovanni Jesus. Um, I mean, I know it's not really saying a ton, but considering the guys are wing, ringer and forward, uh, you know, he's, he's back closing crosses down, defending well, standing his man up, not lunging in, um, all things you kind of associate with, uh, with forwards defending, I guess. And, um, that run to the back post for the, the goal, um, yeah, nice finish, lost his man, did exactly what you want him to do. Buzz, over in the Discord, and the great original Burn fan, Dustin Chrisman, uh, pointed this out, but it is really weird that we are following a club that somehow uh, spent a lot of money on, let's just 
Christian Coleman, uh, Frank O'Hara, and now Jimenez, who have collectively produced pretty much nothing. But it's also the same club that found a kid playing high school ball in Abilene and another guy who showed up and played very few minutes and already produced more who was playing first division uh, ball in Israel. And it's weird to see how this club is good and bad at this process of scouting players. Yeah. Oh, and you can even point to their own ability to develop their best players from internally from sure. the academy too, yeah. rather than these signings. I think um, I think Dallas is really, really bad at overpaying for uh, names or over, overpaying for like where players come from. You know, when they when they've gone to uh, players that play for Division One's La Liga teams or from these big, huge clubs you've heard of, the players that they're getting are players that have failed at that level and they're rejected at that level and they're and they're not good. Um, whether it be uh, all the way back to Danielson, whether it be um, Frank O'Hara, you know, coming from Pachuca, whether David it be Davino. Jimenez, uh, uh, yeah, uh, where whether it be Jose Martinez coming from the Barcelona system, you know. Um, they're at their best. They seem to be when they go find guys that are slightly more obscure. I, I think you could even include Shellis and David Ferreira when Shellis had seen him playing at some tournament that he went to, to as a coaching clinic thing and had seen him playing years before and remembered him, you know, or, 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 or these guys that they're getting from, um, you know, these European retreads are, are just not doing any good. It's doing good when you're going down and getting Juan Toha out of, some obscure, I don't remember where he came from, but it was somewhere not that great. You know, Obreon is ordinarily a kind of player like this. And despite the fact we think Obreon's not the greatest thing in the world, he's had a couple of pretty decent seasons, you know, for what he costs relative to what Jimenez costs and what he hasn't done or what Franco O'Hara costs and what he hasn't done. So they're at their best uh, with the diamonds in the rough and, and not when you're paying a premium for, uh, a guy. I remember. I, I'm going to use an analogy from fantasy sports, and this may sound like a bad analogy, but bear with me for a second. Okay. I, I was I was in a fantasy league maybe a decade ago, and at a sports network, and one of the guys in the league was always trying to do these trades, and he would be like, "Oh man, I got this guy. He's an all star. He'll be great for your team." And trying to trade you to him, and I wanted to. I said to him, "Who cares if he's an all star? That has nothing to do with fantasy sports." And that idea that like you're going to overpay for a guy because he comes from a top five league or he comes from a PSV or he comes from a big, huge name in Brazil, that, that over that, that little extra you got to pay to get the BMW, to get the Mercedes is not worth it. You're better off getting that, the, the Chevy down the street that the hot rod kid put a kid on, you know, uh, those are bad analogies perhaps. But it's kind of the way I feel about Dallas. This is a Dallas that doesn't spend money. Well, they, they don't, they dig well, they dig down and find, little gems, but they don't go spend big well. Yeah, it's weird. We get stuck on a couple of players that because they are the big dollar players. Um, and, and and a lot of this season has been fretting over the fact that the, the, the money spent on Areola and Legette started to look like it was uh, wasted as well. Legette's starting to look better in Velasco. I'm sorry, not Velasco. Areola, I still think, is a little bit TBD at this point. So... It is it is a weird dichotomy of being a Dallas fan that you've got the, those two different things going on at the same time. It's just an oddity. Of yeah, I think, I think you could even include Alan Velasco as a more of a diamond kind of player because he didn't come from Boca or River. You know, he came from Independiente. You know, a little bit more off the radar. Yep. You know, Car Carlos Grezzo didn't come from Bayern. He came back from one of the smaller German clubs, and and probably only happened because Oscar, I imagine, you know, that relationship. <laughs> so. Um, uh, they have had some hits from places that are a little more well-named, but again, it's never, it's never the big time, you know, it's all, it's always better when they're, when they stay small and, and do and get these guys that sort of have slipped through the cracks one hour, somehow or another, or come from this Israeli league, or even look at um, uh, the, the Hungarian cowboy that we, they just sold. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Shabok Shun, who, we thought looked pretty good in, in, in certain opportunities and chances that he got. It just turned out to be a player that didn't fit with the new coach. But, you know, again, from kind of an obscure sort of league and kind of a, a team that's maybe off the radar a bit, 
you know, those are the kinds of things that pay off. And, and we want to see more of that kind of stuff, not less. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, and I had never thought of it this way, but just th- just consider the knock on effect of Shellis Hyman remembering David Ferreira that and yeah. what it is meant to this club long term, because you don't get Jesus Ferreira without David Ferreira. Yeah, the, the important part of that story to understand is like a lot of people think David Ferreira came from the cap relationship that the Hunts developed, um, and that's not really true. Um, they got Rocha and Michelle, and they got a couple of good players from that relationship. But um, Shellis Hyman, you know, knew about David, David Ferreira and had seen him when he was down in Brazil because he, you know, he used to go down there quite often, you know, and came in to join FC Dallas with that player in mind. Um, that was not a guy that came from the cap relationship. That was a Shellis deal and. And it's funny how uh, we joke about the knock. I remember of Dax not getting protected. And there's a funny knock on that that ended up getting in Ryan Hong's head, which in a way gets you Marco Farfan. Uh, everything is connected. There's a context to everything. Nothing's in a vacuum. Um, and sometimes it's weird how things w- work out this way. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story I'll, to do a tiny bit of news on North Texas. Speaking of this kind of finding diamonds kind of guy, North Texas Soccer Club just signed a kid called Latoro to Tobo Ada. He's from Argentina, so forgive me, I'm butchering that name. Tabo Ada, I'm going to say. He from, he's from a club called All's, All Boys, which is a Division II club. We talked about him like three weeks ago, maybe, mm-hmm. that there was all this news happening. Well, he finally was announced. So to remind everybody what happened, he's I think he's 18 going on 19 years old, somewhere in that neck of the woods, and he was one of their biggest, brightest, up-and-coming prospects. He played five times for their first team, and their fans are super hyped about him. They're like, this is going to be the guy. We love him. It's going to be so awesome the stupid club failed to get him signed to a contract. So basically he was a teenager on a free and Dallas just somehow or another heard about him, saw some tape or whatever, or his agents contacted, you know, presumably Zanata or whatever. So they're like, yeah, we'll take him. So they've signed him to North Texas soccer club. The The reports were that he was, a, it was a North Texas this year, FCLs next year, whatever we'll see. The point is, is that like, it's a division two Argentina cleave team and they've poached out this kid who might have the potential to be one of these little diamonds that they've got because somebody screwed up you know it's these are the kinds of moves that when you hear about them and you read about the background these are the things that get me excited because these are the places you found guys that have hit big for you and had these great stories that come through whether it be a camungo or whether it be a a fabian castillo or in my mind juan toha for some reason feels the same sort of way to me um, these obscure players that come out of South America that turn out to be a lot of fun. And I'm hoping this is going to be one of those guys because it fits this MO of when Dallas has hit this kind of thing. What position does Latero play? He's a, a striker winger kind of player. I'm not sure if he's an outright nine or whether he's a winger, but he's an attacking player. Okay. All right. Exciting young prospect, apparently, allegedly, you know, it's the internet. Who knows? Uh, but, how long before we see know. him with North Texas? I mean, they announced his signing, so he ought to be here as soon as his paperwork clears. I mean, I imagine they wouldn't announce him if it wasn't completely done and dusted, just pending the visa, you know. So we might see him this week, presumably, you know. And, and it's an important player to watch for if the reports are true, this idea that he's going to be with North Texas for one year. And that does fit how these deals can work because they kind of are intended to – if he's coming in the midsummer, it doesn't make sense to add an 18-year-old kid to the first team like in August – Right, so you bring him in for six months with North Texas and bounce him up if it turns out to be good. So it's fun, and then we'll see. And it's the club mo, so we'll, we'll see if. It yeah, that up. was kind of my next question: is did they stick him on North Texas because they didn't really have a place mm-hmm. for him for Dallas? But the real design is to let him come play for Dallas. Probably, you know, it depends on what he costs, how much Tam Gam you fit in. I mean, is he valuable enough that he's a U twenty two initiative? I don't know. the The supplemental roster for the club is pretty full. But you can bounce guys back and forth from North Texas on that, no problem. Okay. I, I just think there's no point to put him on the first-team roster. you know. And again, I'm saying all this without having seen him. For all I know, he really is just a pure 18-year-old project player. You know, He might be being overblown. Um, but when you, when you get a kind of talent out of Argentina and when you get a club's fan base really upset and pissed off at their team for really blowing and screwing this up, you know, you, it makes you kind of go, oh, this could be kind of fun. We'll see. So, uh, Dan, since we're moving into the next round of, uh, of League's Cup and you're the one that's been attending the games and, and dealing with this since Buzz has been on vacation, where is Dallas at this point? When will they play next? Where will they play next? Do we even know potentially who they will play next? And when is Messi coming to Frisco? Yeah. 
Right, that, that is definitely on the agenda. Um, so they are home through the semi-finals, if they... No, uh, sorry, quarter-finals. Uh, so they've got a round of 32 comes up on the middle of next week. Uh, right now, they are waiting until Charlotte plays Nakaxa on Saturday to figure out where to finish in the group. If, uh, is that game so being played Dallas here has, uh, still? That's going to be in Charlotte. Oh, okay. Um, so effectively, Dallas has four points, three points for the win against Nakaxa, one point for the tie against uh, Charlotte. Charlotte got two points for that, a point for winning the penalty shootout, so it's like MLS Next Pro. Um, so if they get a, if they win a penalty shootout or they win the game outright, they go top of the group. Um, if Nekaxa wins then or wins a penalty shootout, then then Dallas goes uh, finishes top. Um, if you really want to see Messi quickly and have the better chance here, you want to probably have uh, you probably want to finish uh, second. You would get Mazatlan um, in the next round. And then you would play Miami in Frisco immediately after on the 6th to the 8th of August. Okay. Uh, the other way means going through potentially Pachuca and any one of, let me see, it would be Cruz Azul, Atlanta, and who's two? Uh, and potentially the, uh, the runner-up of DC United, uh, Pumas and Montreal. So Dallas will play next again sometime midweek. We just don't know who yet until after Charlotte Nacoxa. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then if, if they do finish top of the group, they would have the potential uh, instead of a round of 16 matchup with Miami, it would be a potential quarterfinal. Oh. But uh, in both cases, uh, the weird thing with this competition is in the round of 32, this, this next round, whoever won the group is the team that hosts after that it's just whoever had the better 2022 record so dallas and miami dallas was seeded miami was not so uh, dallas would host hmm. okay well i think we have to talk about the format of this tournament because they went with this no ties thing where they were you gonna have a pk and if you win the pk you get an extra point so you can have three for a win two if you win the shootout for the tie one for losing the shootout for the tie and then zero if you don't the funny thing is, is that that's the MLS next format. So to me, that means someone in the, in the MLS competition committee, maybe it's Durbin or somebody that's an owner that's sort of involved, which means it could be Hunt or it could be a couple other guys. Somebody really has a jonesing for this format because they basically forced it into MLS next pro this year. And now they forced it into leagues cup. So somebody with some power and some authority really likes this idea and is really hoping it's going to pay off because they're cramming it down our throats when nobody asked for this. Yeah, I think a big thing is, you know, they've tried a lot of different things with MLS Next Pro and nobody cares. No one's watching it. Yeah. You know, you've got eyes on this. You've got Messi on it. So they are doing all the silly stuff like at the games, all 22 players come out of the tunnel and then they wait with their mascots, and they get individually introduced like an NBA game. Oh, weird. Um, you know, they, they get a little bit of music. They play music over goal kicks. Granted, that's to stop people, you know, doing a certain chant. Um, you've got teams. Uh, there's no home teams. It's technically just neutral site venues, so there is music for both teams. There is mus There is fireworks for both teams. The graphics are the same for both teams. So Charlotte wins a penalty shootout at FC Dallas, on Friday night, and then music plays as if, as if FC Dallas has won. Um, it's and even the uh, the format of it was a bit silly. The game finishes as a tie on Friday. Everyone leaves, so then they have to rush out an announcement. Hey, there's a penalty shootout coming up. Yeah, I do wonder if the if the addition buzz of the uh, 2.1 point for the shootout uh, on a game that ended a tie is somehow tied to the fact that there's only three teams in each of the group and the complications of yeah. how that would work out if there, you know, if if there were ties involved. 
Well, you just go like you do in the World Cup to things like goal differential or whatever. I mean, they've artificially created a way to separate teams in the group phase, you know, and they've crammed it in there when you could have done other ways. You could have gone with goals for goals against goal differential. And someday you get, eventually you get to the yellow cards, like deep down the list of tiebreakers or coin flips. I mean, none of those things are great. So maybe they saw an opportunity to get it in, but the timing of it being used at the exact same season, they've crammed it in MLS Next Pro. It just struck me that, like, boy, somebody at MLS really wants this to catch mm -hmm. off as an idea. You know, maybe it's somebody that thinks of themselves as an American sports iconography kind of guy and, like, oh, Americans don't like ties. You know, like, thinks of it like the hockey shootouts, like they have when they don't have to not have ties. You know, there's just thinking back to North American secondly, it wouldn't put it past me that it's Clark Hunt, to be honest with you. You know, well, it makes sense, right? Because you've you've got little it's little kitschy, hey, can this take on? You know, you've got those NBA style player introductions, you've got the minor league baseball, let's play music over the game itself and let's just shoot off fireworks for anyone and play music for anyone and graphics for anyone. Let's treat it as a a world cup or you know i mean mls or, or some has control over each of the games everything's just odd you know? it's a, it's a bit of a light americanization of ml of soccer you know and so it's just kind of it's kind of weird in a way and then having it happen twice was like oh you know somebody really wants well i will yeah. only accept it if if the penalty shootout is it goes back to the original mls 1.0 run-up yeah. shootout now that i would be into well yeah, I, I don't think that'll ever happen because it, I, I can't find the story about this. But in my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm very convinced that the reason that went away is the, the players or the players union complained vociferously about it because the amount of injuries in it is is percentage wise very high. And that's yeah, I mean, why well, it went now away. they got wiped out playing against Dallas. I don't ever I don't remember anybody ever getting hurt during MLS shootouts. Yeah, it happened a lot. Did it? <laughs> Yeah, when uh, Eric Ronaldo's talked about it a few times about him doing his knee on one of them. Yeah, I mean, relative to regular PKs, it's it's infinity to zero. No one gets hurt on a regular PK. And compared to the run of play, yes, people get hurt in the run of play. But that's the thing is like you're creating an artificial run of play moment, which is like a breakaway. So it's a very high volume of injuries in that moment relative to normal soccer play. You've basically taken the most dangerous part of soccer and made it the way to win the game in extra yeah, time. It was right, which is a keeper coming out and smashing a striker. That was great. That's like to me, that's one of the highest injury situations there is, other than maybe two guys clashing heads when they go up. Those are the two worst ones, pretty much. So you know, uh, maybe two footed tackles is right up there. It'd be like trying to decide overtime with two footed tackles. You know, it's like you're picking a high volume injury situation. So because of that, I don't think it'll ever come back. I don't have any direct evidence to point out to say that's what happened. That, but that's what I remember okay. is that being the reason at the time why they did it get away with it. So uh, considering all the player personnel stuff we talked about uh, a while ago, do you have any prediction of what the starting – actually, maybe my better question is, Buzz, uh, League's Cup or not, do you have a sense as to what Nico's best 11 is at this point? Well, the, it's pretty close to what they're rolling out. Um, the, you can, there's a discussion to be had with um, Giovanni versus Junka versus Tuomasi at right back. Um, I think they would prefer it not be Junka. Uh, I think you'll probably see a little bit Tuomasi at, at uh, home. I'm sorry, on the road, Giovanni at home, because Gio's defense is so hard on the road in particular. You know, I think the Facundo Edwin situation sort of is leaning Facundo pretty heavily at this point. The way Sebastian, Legette, and Velasco played the last couple of games, it's going to be those two guys at eight indefinitely until Paxson outplays those guys because you now have some more bodies at the wing. So now you don't need Velasco at the wing anymore, so there's a freedom there. And so Siki or Paxson's got to outplay Legette or Velasco. I don't see that happening right now. And then wing is going to be up for grabs. I mean, Jesus is by far the guy, of course. So your wing is going to be – Whoever's playing the best. And to be honest, right now, it's not O'Brien. Right now, it's Camungo and somebody. And who the other person is going to be might depend on how fast Paul Ariel gets healthy. By the way, if you've watched him run around, you can see what I said. He was only 80%. Just look at him run. He can't hardly run the same as he used to. He looks like a guy in preseason. Um, so it'll be a question of how fast does Anse adapt? How fast does Ariola get back to his 100%? 
Meanwhile, it's going to be Kamingo and Obreon going forward, I think, until one of those other guys gets back to their to their selves, or maybe you'll see some Dante Sealy get some moments, you know. But I don't I don't think you want they'll want to start him if they can help it. So really, it's just a question of can Ansa or or um, Ariola unseat Obreon or Kamungo at this point, and that pretty much is it. I mean, that's the that's the shape, that's the personnel. I think next game. Since they rotated in Martinez for 60 minutes, I think you go Martinez again and bring back Tafari and give Ibiaga a break because Ibiaga got played a ton of minutes while Martinez was out. So they'll do the same sort of rotation, you know, and bring let Martinez have 60-70 with Tafari and then bring Ibiaga back in because Ibiaga and Tafari is the combo, you know. But really, that's it, hmm. you know. You know, they're they're using their subs enough to give guys breaks, you know, and and. Some, some some debate about Tuomasi and Giovanni. Really, that's it, you know. All right. Well, uh, that leads me to the next question, which I think everybody is kind of the elephant in the room is, with the windows still open, I know we've kind of beaten this to death uh, in the previous last couple of episodes, but is there any movement? Is there any likelihood Dallas is going to make any other moves? I think there's a chance. I, I got a nibble the other day that, uh, you know, was Zanata talking to somebody about how they're going to do something. Um, in this window. But I, I would, again, double down on the idea that I don't think they have a lot of assets. I'm not sure that they're going to get any money for Reynolds' move because it probably wasn't a profit. It was, certainly is not a profit for Roma. It depends on how the deal is structured. Um, only Zanata will know the answer to that question. They probably got a little bit for Che, but again, I have no idea how much. The thing is, is that they spent... Just Let's just look at Ariel. They spent $2 million in Tam Gam just to get Ariel in the first place. Uh, and then they went and spent some to get Sebastian Legette. Uh And so the, the thing to understand is that about that sub, that funny money, you get it for being a bad team, you get a little more. If you sell players, you get a little more, you know, than ever. Everybody gets a little bit every year. So what the stuff Dallas had that coming into this year, they spent to get those guys last year. And you think to yourself, you might think to yourself, that's not that much money, but it really is in Tam and Gam. And why that's important is because the Tam is what you use to buy, to buy a player, and then the Gam is what you use to make them not have a, a not be a de- designated player. These most rules are ridiculous. So the reason that's important is that you you need like in order to make a guy. Let's look at Jose Martinez for example. The reason he's not a DP is because they need they need something roughly around four hundred thousand dollars in Gam for him to not be a DP. And you can go through the top six or seven guys on the roster that aren't DPs, and that's true of, of, of how they fit into the roster. Well, if, if, if Paul Ariel was $2 million, right, and you, and you had four or five guys that you're buying down on your roster, that's now $4 million. Well, nobody's got these boatloads of Tam and Gam laying around. It's not like it's just money in a pile somewhere, right? It does expire. You only have it for a certain amount of time. Yes, you had a whole lot of it from Pepe. You had a whole lot from Tanner. You had a whole lot from Reynolds. But that's all gone. That all that all went down the river now. It has been used and has been spent. So there's not like this big, humongous chunk of money laying around to which to sign a guy who's under contract. What that means is, is you you can do a move uh, for free players. And you can do a move for a guy that is basically free. Or you can do a move for a trade inside the league. And I think, you know, those ideas of a very cheap South American or a guy on a free like Alan Snore that we talked about or a trade within the league, I think those three things are very possible. And I think there's a good chance that Dallas would still like to do one of them. And if they can get one of them done, they will. I don't know that it's not going to be geared like, I don't think you can look at the team and go, here's a glaring need and I'm going to get this star player that's going to come in and fix this problem. And it's going to be all good to go. Like, you can't think about it as like, I'm going to go get a $2 million center back. That's my long-term Matt Hedges replacement. Or I'm going to go get a six that's going to be my Jao Paulo or my, uh, you know, Kyle Beckerman kind of six that's going to lock this team down for five. You can't make that kind of move with what you have available. You can get a, maybe you can get another kind of Anse kind of player. Maybe you can get a, uh, a trade for a Junka kind of player, maybe something like that. You know, that's what you have to expect. And I think they might do one of those this window, but that's about the best they're going to be able to do because the money's all been used up 
basically to get them where they are now. Just to your point, I've had a couple of people tell me, oh, it's no one exciting. Yeah. Which is such an encouraging thing to be told. <laughs> yeah, we're just hearing rumbles of, you know, something's coming, a body's coming, a player's coming, you know, and you can look at where the some of the needs might be. You know, Martinez is kind of always banged up. Um, Amet Corsa, Corsa has been okay in moments, but isn't great. Nolan's kind of a midfielder now. You know, you can kind of see that maybe it might be the center back. Maybe you look at right back where you're, where Tumasi was been banged up and you're playing Junk on the wrong side and maybe Giovanni's defense isn't great. Or maybe you look at eight where other than you're being forced to play a winger as an eight, but can you get a guy that can be played better than that? Not really. Maybe you can get another Seeky. I mean, none of these things are mind-blowingly good. They're just looking at ways, I think, to maybe prop up, you know, why, where they might be short of body here or there. Obviously, the one that jumps out at me is center back, but... Um, it could also uh, look at a backup for left back with the idea that Junker wants to play on the right. Yeah, that yeah, totally legit. Or or maybe you're not feeling good. Uh, no offense, I love Jimmy Maurer. Maybe you don't feel great about Jimmy Maurer. Maybe you don't think Antonio Carrera is ready yet, and you, or you don't want to risk burning him out at at 20 years old by throwing him in too early, perhaps or something. You know, I'm I'm just reaching on some of these ideas, but this is the kind of level we're talking about. We're talking about probably a backup kind of player. You know that might might play a few games and, and spell you and give you some depth. It won't. It'll be a guy that hopefully you feel like could be a roster piece as you go forward. So maybe you look at players that have expiring contracts, Facundo, Martinez, maybe Obreon's position. You know, those are the kinds of things to be thinking about. Not not a guy's going to come in and score ten goals and get us into the playoffs. That kind of conversation. It's not happening. And when does the window close, Buzz? Oh, mid August maybe. Okay. Uh, it's a shorter one because it's the secondary one for this league. And the roster freezes, you know, a couple of weeks after that, which is like the point of that matters because you can make trades. The transfer window is different than, again, we don't think Dallas can do a transfer. You know, you can, you, that window will close. It's the roster freeze window that you want to think more about because that's when trades will be. The, the window this year actually closes on Wednesday. Oh, wow. That is short. Yeah, so even if it goes past Wednesday and a player isn't added, don't think that's the end of the world. You can add a free player after the window's closed because the window's for transfers, right? And in this but league, you can add a player through trade or a free player up until the roster freeze, which is a more American kind of thing. You freeze the roster before the playoffs. I think that's later in the end of towards the end of August, maybe early September. I'm not 100 percent sure. I didn't look it up. Thirteenth so, of September. There you go. Yeah, so you'll have another month. Maybe just to, to do something, add something possibly. So don't panic if nothing happens by Wednesday. Okay. Uh, well, I guess we'll all be uh, standing with bated breath trying to find out who Dallas plays midweek yeah. in the League's Cup. Uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. Any, I guess uh, just before we move on to the next thing, any uh, are there any updates on the four guys left on the injury list, Dan, that we didn't get to? No. Um, honestly, I didn't uh, go to the coaches' press conference last night because uh, with Leagues Cup, they're doing... Originally, I wanted half an hour per coach, and it's the away team coach first. They're also doing a mixed zone, so you can't go in the locker room. So it's like, uh, you know, it was kind of, do I do Nico's press conference or get the players and the, the players okay. won? Well, I can tell you that uh, Jimenez's injury, I understand, is pretty bad. So it will not shock me if it turns out to be most of the whole year that he's going to be Do we gone. know That's what the injury is? A, something with his ankle. I don't, I'm not really sure. Uh, Corses was a concussion. So unless the concussion is really bad, he should be back this week. I think he was on the bench. Yeah, oh, there you go. I know Ima Tuomasi trained last week, um, so he should be in full good to go as far as we know. And that really is it. I mean um, – Jimenez, who cares almost if he comes back, but it might be a while. Corsa is fourth at best on the depth chart. So, again, if he, he could be back actually already. If Jimenez is hurt for the rest of the season, can they do the same kind of thing the Galaxy did with Chicharito? Uh, you could put him on an uh, – I think you can only do one season-ending injury um, and have cap relief, and that's already Tariq Scott. Uh. Um, you could sign a replacement player, I think. You know, maybe that's kind of what that maybe that's the thing to think about. If Menace is going to be out for a little bit longer term and Milato's not really doing anything for you, maybe a body at the nine is an idea. Why would you waste um, your injury buyout on Tariq yeah. Scott? 
I mean, that guy get what is he even making a hundred grand a year? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I think it's not a question of a buyout. I think it's a question of the, in, the season injury. Well, yeah, whatever. Status. You know what I mean? Like, why? If yeah. you only have one of those, why wouldn't you save it on the off chance that somebody of real value gets hurt and you need to replace yeah, them? That's a good question. Good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they haven't officially. It's not like, it's not like they were uh, struggling for roster spots either. Well, and Tariq's, Tariq's being labeled a season engine ending injury it might not be the official use of the season ending slot oh. you know what i mean buyout it might just be that they just putting that because they know oh. it's going to be um i think you have to be pretty definitively though because once you do use that official slot they really are done you can't bring them back at all so they're probably just sort of you know jimenez would have to be legitimately clear like he's not coming back till next may before you would use it you're you know so Jimenez, Jimenez coming from Toronto. He did no. Did he come from Toronto? Yes, and they're paying part of his salary cap. But that wasn't remember? that wasn't in any way tied to the Hedges. Hedge was independent. No. It was it was Cervania that was tied. Cervania okay, was traded right. for yeah, him. Yeah, 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 and and basically they're paying for his cap. Uh, Toronto is like the the DP part probably. Right. Okay, so that's why he's not a DP here. That's why he's an underworld. You know, granted, they're not getting anywhere near the value of even half of his contract. Well, it's not getting zero. They're getting zero because, but he's only like a 400 K hit. So he's only just barely more than Obreon. So it's not that big of a deal really. But, um, so it's not actually hurting your cap that much, you know, and you, and I don't think you would get at this point, you would hardly get any relief for him at all. If you put him on Mm -hmm. some kind of thing now, I don't think you get cap relief for season ending injury. Anyway, you just get roster relief. But, um, you know, if you're talking about half a season, you're talking about $250,000 at this point. So it's barely worth considering, honestly. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, Dallas wins and the scenario plays itself out. The idea of getting Miami here at Toyota Stadium, just uh, I just think is, <laughs> is so exciting. It would be so great. It would be an amazing night. I I've watched the two Miami games with great interest and just I, like the Atlanta the game against Atlanta. Did you guys happen to watch that game by any chance? The, no. the Miami Atlanta game. Dan, did you? No. Uh, it it was it was b- beyond bizarre. Like I <laughs> I I don't know if you saw the stat. Nobody f- fouled Messi in the seventy eight mm. minutes he was in the game. How does that I happen? don't know. And here's the here's the crazier <laughs> one. I would swear to you, it was almost as if somebody had instituted a rule that nobody could get within 10 yards of Busquets. And there were periods Ooh. of time where Busquets would track back into their half of the field to get the ball, and there was nobody near him. And Atlanta did nothing to try to stop that. And on the opening goal... Busquets is in all kinds of space just to look up and watch Messi run in behind. And and I and I'm just working under the assumption that as this tournament goes on and as they get back into league play, somebody's gonna go, yeah, we need to kind of need to put people on Messi and Busquets. Uh, and we can't let them just do their thing without any pressure whatsoever. And I'm hoping maybe Dallas is the first team to apply that, but I guess we'll find out. Well, you, Busquets's entire thing is his brain. You know, he's outright slow. And yet he's always wide open for the ball. He's always making these game-breaking passes. He's always uh, in the right place. To Buzz, I'm just telling. I'm, I'm sure that's even worse against uh, Miami. But, uh, you mean against Atlanta? <laughs> uh, yeah, against in MLS. I'm sure that like what his four yards of space at Barcelona has turned into ten yards of space in Miami. I, it was it was weird. <laughs> it was like literally. It was like the Atlanta coach said, "Don't bother to even go near Busquets." Yeah. It was the weirdest that's thing. Weird. Uh, and fascinating to watch, but it's uh, fun nonetheless because the two of those guys are just so awesome. So uh, lots of fun. So hopefully yeah. they make it here. It'd be great to see them play uh, at uh, at Toyota Stadium. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, whoever I have to write my $10,000 check to. Well, that's oh, me. The, we oh, that's right. That. <laughs> Buzz is the yeah. one that saved me from having <laughs> to spend my life savings to see that game. Well, it's just not 10000 It's $9,900. Oh, and have you changed your mind on the price since it became more of a, a, a real possibility of happening? Oh, did we settle on a price? I didn't, I didn't realize we got uh, I just said I had a ticket. Oh, I... <laughs> oh, crap i'm screwed i'm totally screwed all right well anything yeah. else we need to get to my dear friend buzz no that's good i think that's everything i mean i'm sure there is but we got lots of time all right 
Dan, you got anything you want to throw? Any other fun stories from the two Leagues Cup games you attended? Fun? Hmm. Mm, Dan's not a Leagues Cup fan, I can tell. No, it's it's a little bit hokey. Uh, and, and mid-season friendly is always kind of a bit whatever. All right. Well, it doesn't appear that many people care because the attendance has been really poor. And I think it's been poor everywhere in the tournament, with the exception, obviously, being Miami. Well, about that, um, so there was, you know they announced ten thousand first game, and it was you know reasonable attendance. They announced six for the second, and if there were six thousand there, if there were three thousand there, then uh, you know they they did well to hide them as plastic seats. So it sounds like there was a lot of pressure for people to buy next season, the next year's season tickets, so that they could lock in all of the um, all of the league's cups games. But then, weirdly, a bunch of people's access accounts had the Nakaxa ticket removed. Yeah. So they were like, "So they were like, screw it, I'm not going to go out and buy one." Yeah, I didn't get the Nakaxa ticket with my lease cut package. Why? But there were people who I, the ticket was in was in their account, and then it was removed. I had a placeholder for it, uh, and then it went away. And I got an email that said the Nakaxa ticket wasn't included in your slate of lease cup tickets that you bought. I, I have no idea why it was not i couldn't possibly give you an answer for why it was not but it was not <laughs> hopefully if if they keep this competition going into future years that they take out some of the stupidity of it there's like even to the point where uh, in the stadium the lineup graphics for twitter are actually shown on the screen now twitter's the, the format of the Twitter graphic doesn't really go well with that very wide scoreboard. But FC Dallas isn't allowed to control the scoreboard because it's MLS's game or Sum's game. So someone independent has to do that. Just give the teams control of certain things. Let them, like, you know, give the experience in their home stadiums. I'm sure, you know, you wouldn't want to go to Atlanta or Portland or wherever and experience a like a sterile atmosphere because all the things that make those wonderful places are taken away hmm. weird uh i don't I, I don't quite yet know how to wrap my brain around this whole concept of this league's cups thing or how it grows or how it becomes popular I, it, it's going to need some sort of special moment and maybe it's messy maybe messy. maybe messy and and friends uh uh, make this thing a, a magic moment and everybody finally buys into it for the next time they do it next year. I don't know. We'll see. At least for one game. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I, but I, I literally have no idea how the rest of the tournament is going other than Dallas. And I only know that because of this pod, because I have to like pay attention to it for the podcast. Right. Like I have no idea how anybody else is doing. If you think about it this way, right, the majority of revenue goes back to um, Soccer United marketing. So FC Dallas goes out to everyone and says, hey, there's a chance that Messi comes here August 6th or August 11th. You need to be here for that. To be here for that, you need to buy all of the games. You need to buy your season ticket for next year. So then they're making money. The league's making money. It doesn't matter how many butts are in seats. It just because the same people on TV are going to be watching on yeah. Apple I, I will say that I have enjoyed the soccer on the field. Uh, you know, Charlotte being in the Eastern Conference, it was nice to see them, you know, uh, playing a Mexican team in a game that counts, quote unquote. I got my air quotes in the air. I'm going to say it counts because it's a cup. I mean, other teams other than the United States are used to cups. So foreign players get the idea of cups. Foreign teams get the idea of cups. You know, there's been a, a fair level of competition, I think. Uh, teams have been trying from what I'm watching to win these games. I, I really actually enjoyed okay. it. You know, I, hope I just game. really hope they find a better time to put it on for both leagues. Yeah, I, I'm right sure there now was... we, I mean, you think about it this way: the Euros have been off MLS really due to Nations League, then Gold Cup, then the All Star break, now a full month for Leagues Cup. Well, I think that the MLS probably pushed for it to be. Um, opposite CONCACAF, Champions League. Because, you know, MLS teams always talk about how they're in preseason form and, ML and League MX teams are in midseason form when they play that thing. Well, now it's the opposite. And de MLS teams are doing pretty well against a lot of these League MX teams. And yeah, the numbers are leaning MLS. So, And maybe it's just the anomaly being this year, but you've got 
you've got four separate events that are taking away from the league back to back to back to back. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Weird season, no doubt. Well, we play the Gold Cup too much. They, we didn't play it less. So anyway, so. Well, yeah. I mean, they're going to have Copa, Copa America coming up after that. Um, you know, so. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. I'm sitting here looking at the website uh, of teams that have already qualified for the knockout round. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight MLS teams that have already qualified and only three League MX teams that have. And who was the first that hadn't qualified through winning the whole league last year? Your boys. Lord FC Dallas. Your boys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Better, better than you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dan, thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Thanks for uh, your hard work and diligence. Thank you. Yeah. And fuzzy beard. We love that fuzzy beard. And uh, Buzz, I hope uh, your camp meeting, whatever it is, indoctrination, whatever's mm-hmm. going on up there in Idaho, yeah. Yeah. I hope that continues yeah. to go well. Yeah. The, the lake is beautiful. Yeah, the lake is beautiful. Well, have fun. Don't get eaten by a bear. How about that? I will not. There's too many people around for that. I did see somebody got eaten by a bear the other day. That well, I don't. we don't want you to, to get eaten by a bear either. I, I've switched from the place where people go hiking and die to the, from the heat to the place where people go hiking and die from the bear. Is it the cocaine bear, though? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the Degree the Podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all yesterday Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club and U.S. National Team gear. The women are at the World Cup. Take down in Australia, New Zealand. Get your gear to support them. Your scarves, your jerseys, everything you can want. Soccer90.com. Use code Third Degree at checkout for twenty percent off. Some exclusions may apply. All right, everybody. Well, thank you guys, and uh, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. That's still crappy. Mid-season friendlies. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast. Third degree, the third degree nail podcast.